Shalom and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Brutal Planet right here on Yeshiva Radio as well as your local radio affiliate. My name is Christopher Fredrickson. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with each and every single one of you here today. Now, for those of you who do not have Brutal Planet in your local radio affiliate, make sure to go and open up the iTunes podcast app on your smartphone or maybe on your tablets or maybe on your computer and go and do a search, Brutal Planet, and make sure to go and subscribe right there. You can also go and get the over 2,000 archives on our website, which is lapidjudaism.com. And you can also listen to Yeshiva Radio over there as well. Go and click on the podcast tab and then select Brutal Planet. And you'll be able to go and get the various video and MP3 um, teachings right over there. I think iTunes as well as um, Google Play and TuneIn Radio which we also go and have this program. I think they only have the most recent 100, okay? So if you want to go a little bit further back, then make sure to go and check out our website, lapidjudaism.com. And if the resources that we have over there that are all free are a blessing to you, make sure to go and to click on our little PayPal button over there and make a donation to help us with our ministry costs so that we can keep these things coming to you each and every single week as well as the variety of writings that we have on there as well as all of the other free resources. Now, one of the things you guys know is that on Friday nights, we always end up having our Torah portion study. And last week we did our first New Testament study for that of the New Testament readings. Now, the thing with this is that various different ministries will have different readings in, that correlate to the Parshas for the New Testament. And why is this? Well, it's because of the fact that there were never really set New Testament readings to go along with the Torah, with the Haftarah, and, uh, to, uh, you know, to accompany those. And so different ministries will have different readings. One of, the, one of the ones that we use, and we use it rather often, is the readings that First Fruits of Zion has in their um, uh, Torah portion schedule. And that's what we're going to be following up with here today. Okay? And so the reading that they have is from the book of Matisyahu or Matai or Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Now, what we have in these passages is we see that basically Herod has gone and said that he is going to make sure to kill the babies that could be the king of the Jews, that could be the Mashiach. And so he orders quite a few of them to be killed. And so Yosef goes and is approached by that of a, um, of a Malach Hashem, a, an angel of God, and basically is told, go and flee. Go and flee to Egypt. And so him and his family go and flee to Egypt. And then Herod ends up dying. Now, the thing about, though, is that within this week's Torah portion, we uh, do go and witness a death, but it's the death of Rachel. It's not 
you know, the uh, uh, the death of any leader, you know, within that of one of the countries or within that of the Jewish world. We don't see this here. How in the world does this correlate to that of the Torah portion? We also have the fight between that of the angel of God and that of Yochov. And we see that he is named Israel after this. And this gets into this slightly. Gets into this slightly, but it's really going to focus a great deal upon that of the Haftar. Okay? Now, the thing is that I, it's very interesting and it's so cool that one of the passages that I have been looking at here recently, and the reason why I've been looking at this particular passage, which is Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, I've been looking at this passage a lot here recently. Why? Because I have a friend who um, I briefly mentioned um, on Friday night's teaching and who it is that I am not going to mention by name, but it's a dear friend, a really good guy, and uh, he's kind of being influenced by that of the anti-missionaries a little bit. And one of the things that he ended up bringing up to me at one point uh, a couple of days ago was Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. Okay, so let us go and, and, and look at this passage here real quick. As we go and we get started, I'm read, reading this from the Aramaic scriptures. And it says, And there uh, and was there until the death of um, Herodes, which is Herod, so that the thing might be fulfilled that was spoken from Maryah, which is the Lord Hashem. Maryah means necessarily, it means master, is what that means in Aramaic. By the prophet, who said from Mitzrayim, Egypt, I have called my son. Okay? Now with this, this passage here, we end up seeing that uh, it seems to be a very clear-cut thing. And now the thing about those, that what we end up seeing is that it's a parallel to that of the book of Hosea, or Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, let us go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, so that we can see exactly what is written there. And it says there, When Israel was a lad, I loved him. And since Egypt, I have been calling out my son. Okay? So when we look at that passage there, we see that it's not necessarily talking about the Mashiach. That it's talking about Israel, and we can get into the argument. Is it talking about Israel in terms of Jacob? Is it talking about the land of Israel? Or is it talking about the Jewish people? Which one is it talking about here? Now, the thing with this passage here, within um, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, we then have to go and say to ourselves, why is this there this discrepancy? Considering that Matthew says that this is a fulfillment of Scripture about that of the Messiah, but it really doesn't seem to be at all in any ways. Whenever we go to Isaiah 11, uh, or Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, it doesn't seem that way at all because it's talking about Israel. And so, we have this to deal with here because many anti-missionaries will say, well, what has happened here? 
is Matthew, first of all, didn't know his scripture, and he's taking it way goofy out of context. He's taking it way out of context and even trying to come up with a prophecy that is not even a prophecy about the Messiah, about the Messiah going to Egypt and all of these things. Why, why would this happen? So one of the things I ended up doing is I decided to go and listen to some of the things that the anti-missionaries have said about this passage in Matthew, because the anti-missionaries love to talk about the passages of the New Testament that seem to not make any sense, or they seem to be taken out of context from that, the Tanakh, and so on and so forth. Now, I used to be an anti-missionary. Let me tell you a little bit how the mind of the anti-missionary works, okay? First of all, in order to be an effective anti-missionary, you have to throw Judaism and the ways and the customs of Judaism, and the biblical hermeneutic of Judaism, and you have to throw it right out the window. You basically have to become a hyper-literalist Protestant. You have to become one of those guys that think that the Scripture's actually talking about handling snakes and having snakes in your church and all of that stuff. And if you are good with God, then the snake is not going to bite you. You essentially have to go into that world in order to become an anti-missionary. None of the things in terms of halakha, can ever, you know, come about. You can never, you know, go and look at, look at these things. The Bible, you can no longer see as three-dimensional. You have to see it as a, basically, to quote Beetlejuice, you have to read it like stereo instructions, essentially. That's how it is that you have to see. You have to see it like a movie that is coming out from Hollywood. You have to see it like a Polly Shore movie where there's nothing underneath the surface and where it is that you have to basically ignore the plot holes, you have to ignore all the things that, you know, are, are issues and all that stuff, which you can find, you know, several people talking about movies and all the plot holes and all that stuff on places like YouTube and, you know, various blogs and all this stuff. You can find that stuff everywhere. But you have to treat Scripture in that way in order to become an anti-missionary. Now, in terms of this... This passage deals not with a particular prophecy within that of Tarashebektav, within that of the written Torah, or even within that of the Ketuvim, or the Nevi'im. This prophecy really deals with that of Tarashebiyape, the Oral Torah. It deals with the writings of Chazel. It deals with these things, and essentially... One of the things that we have to realize in terms of this is Jewish hermeneutic. We have to understand Jewish hermeneutic, first of all, in order to look at this and to realize that, first of all, Matthew did not make a mistake. He wasn't taking something out of context at all. But the only way to do this is we have to get out of this hyper-literalist mindset, and we have to go and put our Jewish caps on. We have to do that. It is so vastly important that we do that in order to understand how it is that this is not taken out of context. And how it is that we're going to start with this is that, first of all, we have to understand the four levels of interpretation known as pardis, which, con which, are, um, which consists of pashat, remez, drosh, or drash, and sod, 
Okay, now let me explain a little bit about these and what exactly they are. Okay, now the Bible can be seen, most notably the Torah, in these four levels of understanding. Now the Torah itself can be seen in all four. Okay, that's what makes the Torah so amazingly unique. Okay, but then we have different books of the Bible in the Ketuvim, the Nevi'im, as well as the Brit HaDashav that are basically tied to one of these levels of understanding. This is also why it is that we have four Gospels. So a couple of years ago, we ended up putting out the Rabbinic Gospel of Mark, for instance. And through that, we showed 320 parallels to the Gospel of Mark from that of the Oral Torah and from that of Chazel, from that of the Sages. And so the, many people asked me, they said, why did you start with Mark? Why is it that you didn't start with Matthew? Because Matthew is the very first book of the Brit Shah. Do you reject the Gospel of Matthew? You know, there were a lot of rumors that were started because of the fact that we started with the Gospel of Mark. And then I had to explain why we started out with Mark. Because Mark is written on the Peshat level of, in, of hermeneutic. Now, what exactly is Peshat? Peshat is the literal. It relies upon seven rules by that of Rabbi Hillel. Okay? And so these seven rules will help you to understand the literal meaning of the Gospel of Mark, which is written on the literal level. That's why, you know, certain things are more um, pinned down. You know, they, certain things are described in great detail to set out the scene for you. Much like when it is that you see the, uh, the, per, the, uh, um, the person being lay, uh, lowered down in, in, into the house where Yeshua goes and does the healing. You know, there's great detail in that because you're being made to, sh to see the literal level there. And then you have the remez. Now, the remez uses 13 rules, and it's known as the hint level. It gives you a hint of something. But one of the things with the remez, in order to understand remez, you have to know a good deal of Hebrew. You have to know your Hebrew pretty well. You don't have to be fluent in it, but you do have to know your Hebrew pretty well. Then you have the, and actually the Gospel of Luke is written on that of the remez level. Then you have the Drosh. Now, the book of Matthew is written on the Drosh, also known as Drosh level of, of biblical hermeneutic. Now, with this one, you use 32 rules. Now, with these 32 rules, it's also known as the sermon level or the level of Midrashim. Okay? And so with this, not only do you need to know your Hebrew pretty darn well, or for the New Testament, Aramaic. Or if you're a Greek primus, we'll go and throw Greek in there, though Greek really doesn't fit into the hermeneutic style as well as the Semitic languages. But you better know your Tanakh within that of Hebrew pretty well. And you should know whatever it is that your primacy is in terms of either Aramaic or in that of Greek or Latin of that of the New Testament. You better know those things pretty darn well. And with this, you are going to come up with some parallels in terms of wording. You're going to come up with some parallels in terms of overall context. And certain things are going to be asserted into there that 
on the Peshat, on the literal level, do not seem to make sense at all because you're saying that doesn't make any sense in terms of the context of this one being inserted into the context of this other passage here. It doesn't make any sense. But the thing about it, though, is that you also have to know very well in terms of the Drosh because with Semitic writings, it is heavily reliant upon that of Halakha, upon that of Midrashim and Agadah and Gemara, as well as a little bit of Mishnah as well. So with, with uh, Matthew, you are going to be looking at the span of everything outside of that of Kabbalah in terms of all the writings coming you know, from the times of the Tosefta, the Talmud, Midrashim, all the way through the times of Rashi, the Rambam, the Yorchachim, you know, Baharal, you know, and even, you know, the works of Hasidus through that of Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, as well as uh, Rabbi Schneerson, and so on down the line. You're going to be looking at all of this because you've got to cover Jewish thought rather thoroughly in order to be able to grasp the Drosh level of interpretation. Then we have the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written on what is known as the Sod level of interpretation. Now, the Sod level re relies upon 42 or 72 rules, but however, Sefer Yetzirah says 32. And the reason why Sefer Yetzirah says 32 because it relates to the 22 letters of the Hebrew Aleph base, as well as the 10 attributes of the Sefirot. Okay, and so you have to, first of all, have to know all of the uh, the, the the rabbinic uh, you know um, arguments every single part of the way all throughout Judaism in order to understand things that are on the sod level, which is also known as the level of Kabbalah. We have the Gospel of of John that is written on this level. We also have the Book of Revelation that is written on the level of Kabbalah as a hermeneutic. We also have the book of Zechariah, as well as a great portion of the book of Daniel as well. Many of these things that you end up seeing as things talking about the Elom Haba, the world to come, they are all wrapped within this. And some of the well-known Jewish texts in terms of the Sod level, the level of Kabbalah would be, for instance, that of the Zohar, Sefer Yetzirah, Bahar, and, you know, several others. You also have many of the um, sages as well go in and writing on this level of hermeneutic. One of the main ones would be the Maharal of Prague, Rabbi Loyal, who actually, many of you guys know, um, had created the Golem of Prague, which is a very famous story that um, actually uh, with that is actually where we get the modern day Frankenstein story from. So in order to, to go and to properly look at this passage, Chapter 2, verse 15 of the book of Matthew, we have to know the words of Hazel pretty well. And the thought pattern behind that of Hazel. So, I think it'd probably be good if we went to Hazel, to the words of the sages, and see what it is that they end up saying about this concept of Israel and the Messiah. So let us go to Yachut uh, Shemonim 11.621. And it says, where does the Torah speak of the Messiah? 
As it is written in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Where in the decrees of the prophets, it is written in Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant will prosper. And nearby that passage, it says in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold. And where in the writings? Psalm chapter 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. And Psalm 2, 7 says, He said to me, You are my son. So we have this entire diatribe here, and the anti-missionaries will rely on half-truths, that Israel is indeed referred to as my son in terms of these passages. And so they are correct in saying, well, Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 is talking about Israel. They're absolutely right. But at the same time, when we look at the entire diatribe here that is happening within these verses in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, we see them escaping into that of Egypt. And so we, one of the things that we ultimately end up seeing is, first of all, the Jewish people ended up going and residing within that of Egypt. So in many ways, it is indeed a messianic prophecy. How is it a messianic prophecy? Because first of all, the thing that we have to understand is that the first coming of Messiah is known as Mashiach ben Yosef. Who was the first Jew to have great influence into the land of Egypt, as we find out next week within that of the Torah? Well, that would be Yosef. And so we are given the beginning of this diatribe. That first of all, Yeshua understands the strife, the things that had happened in that, that of Egypt. He was there. He is, be, he is shown to be one with that of the Jewish people right after in chapter 1 where it goes over his genealogy. So we see that physically and, uh, you know, in terms of genetics, he is indeed, you know, um, as it says within that of uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he is, it is indeed, Sefar Todot, um, I believe it says, Sefar Todot Yeshua HaMashiach Ben David Ben Avraham. We see that genetically it has that, but there also has to be the spiritual connection as well. And so going all the way back to the times of the Exodus and going in to that of Israel. We see from Malkut Shemini that that is definitely a part of rabbinic prophecy about that of the Messiah, which it is that Matthew himself would have even known. Now, the thing I also find interesting is that whenever I go and I look at this, I also end up saying, you know what, we got to look at the entire context as well of what is happening in the book of Hosea. Now, the thing about it was the, the anti-missionaries won't say anything about verse uh, chapter 10, verse 15, and I don't have that in the slide, so you're going to have to forgive me there. But it says, So has Bethel done to you because of your greatest evil at dawn. The king of Israel will utterly be silenced. Okay, big deal. 
What does that have to do with anything? It has, has a lot to do with it because when we look at the words of Rashi, this is very interesting because when we look at the words of Rashi here, Rashi says this. He says at dawn, when most people go about their business, the king of Israel will be silenced. Stunned and powerless by the presence of the king of, our, of Assyria. Now, this is very interesting because this also plays into the prophecy about some of the eyes being shut to the concept of Mashiach. Now, some of you might be sitting here watching this and saying, you know what, I'm a hyper-literalist. I don't really believe that the people who are reading the Bible are expected to be rabbinic scholars. You know, they, they shouldn't really be expected to be in this. But then we have to ask the question, what about the culture in which it is that Yeshua was in? The people that these things were being written to, of course we need to be immersed in that world. We need to be immersed in this because then we see fully these things that were taught within that of the synagogue, which is, you know, a commandment given to new believers within that of Acts chapter 15. The, but see, in the West, we have this issue because we are so immersed in the way that we used to see things in our former religious institution for, you know, my formerly, uh, formerly Christian brethren who have come into either the Hebrew Roots movement, the Messianic faith, or like myself, the Lapid Jews through conversion— you know, there's these, this battle that we have going on of how it is that we used to see things and how it is that we are expected to see things when we realize that these are indeed Jewish writings and that there is a parallel through that of diatribe, through that of Semitic thought. And so when we get into the concept, which starts in next week's Parshas, we end up seeing the concept of Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah's son of Joseph, which is a huge huge part of the perfect place where this entire thing was put here, you know, within that of this Parshas. And the thing that we realize about Joseph is that Joseph birthed the, well, he didn't birth them, you know, Leah and Rachel, you know, and plus, you know, their, um, uh, their, their handmaid, they ended up going and birthing the tribes of Israel and, and, and all of this. But we see that they all come from that of Joseph. They all come from that of Joseph. So it's very interesting that he is named Israel. And Israel is in relation to that of the Jewish people. You know, whenever it says Israel in terms of a people, it's talking about the, the Jewish people. You know, because all 12 tribes are Jewish because they all come from that of Joseph. And so what we see is that, first of all, Yeshua is essentially proving himself, considering that even though he's a baby, he's going into the land of Egypt, he had to prove that, first of all, he experienced these things, that he lived these things, that he is a part of the Jewish people and a part of the Jewish struggle. One of the things I really found very interesting from watching some of the different anti-missionaries go in and talking about this, is I heard something that was just so utterly preposterous uh, in, in, in terms of this. They try and take the Gospel of Matthew, and especially these verses, and try and turn them into something very anti-Semitic. They try and say that, first of all, well, Herod was the king of the Jews, you know, and all this stuff. And we see that, first of all, it paints Herod to be this really bad guy. Herod had his own sons killed, for God's sake. Herod was not Jewish at all. He was a Roman appointment over that of the land of Judea. 
He was appointed by the Romans. He was Roman. He was not a Jew. And plus, when we look at Jewish history, especially during this time of the first century, we see that the, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, the Talmud, the Midrashim, you know, and all of the written down Jewish history that was passed down orally and then finally written down, we see that basically they end up saying that the Sanhedrin was bought and paid for it at that, at that time. And so therefore the halakha of the Sanhedrin at that time Considering that it was under the, uh, the the rule of Caiaphas, who basically bought his way as the Kohen Kadal, Kohen Hagadol, that basically this was an illegitimate Sanhedrin during this time under Roman occupation. This was not a real Sanhedrin, and these were not real Jews during this time that were running the Sanhedrin. This is why, and plus at this time they were under the occupation of the Sadducees, who were the Sadducees, the hyper literalists. Okay, and so they, they rejected all of Tadashia the Alpay, and this is why it is that Yeshua says in Matthew chapter 23, do as it is that the uh that the that the Porashim and the uh and the Holkamim, the uh the Pharisees and the scribes do as it is that they say to do, for they sit on the Kise Ha Moshe, on the seat of Moses. Okay, saying, you know, uphold those rulings. And so considering that within the same gospel, we see that statement being given, this should be a message to us saying, this is written in a Semitic way. This is written to where it is that we have to understand, draw shot. That's why it is that that's not written in, in Mark. That's why it's not written in Luke. That's why it's not written in the other synoptic gospels. It's because of the fact that when you get to the book of Matthew, you better understand Semitic thought. Now, the thing about it, though, is that the anti-missionaries also say, well, look at how that's taken so out of context, which it is that we ended up covering. And I say to myself, well, then you have to reject all of Talmud. You have to reject all of Midrashim. You have to reject all of Tosefta. You have to reject all the words of Hazel because they operate and in, in write in the exact same way that we end up seeing within that of Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. So therefore, you essentially have to become a Kyrite. You essentially have to become a Sadducee and a hyper-literalist in the way of Protestantism. You, ca- you, you have to basically shed all of, your, um, all of your Judaism in order to make that case and pretend that this is not the way any of those things were ever written. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope and I pray that this was helpful to each and every single one of you. Make sure that if you are going to be celebrating the festival of Hanukkah, to go to lapidjudaism.com, click on the store icon, and make sure to go and get our four books of the Maccabees that we have out and will be sending out next week. Make sure to go and get your order in and uh, go and get your copies of the book of Maccabees for the time of Hanukkah, all right? So, shalom bracha, peace and a blessing, and thank you for joining us here today. Shalom. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewAndArabic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons you'll find anywhere. 
on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.